This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. It's great to be with you again and once again. Let me direct your attention to the website, richardserrett.com where you'll find uh, Albert the intern and I have posted some stories of note in the slide carousel. Uh, For those of you keeping score, you'll find a list of the attendees at this year's annual Bilderberg Conference, which wrapped up last night in Telfsbuchen, Austria. This was the 63rd annual conference of the world's movers and shakers, or the unelected oligarchs, if you will, meeting under a virtual media blackout, And the media seems perfectly okay with this. On this year's agenda, artificial intelligence, or how soon can our paymasters replace us with robots? Cyber security, or how can our paymasters tighten the surveillance screws on you and I? Chemical warfare threats, or how much can our paymasters continue to spray down on us from above without anybody noticing that our air, soil, and water are being poisoned? Also on the agenda, Greece, Iran, and the U.S. elections. Uh, In just a few weeks, another annual meeting of elites where world leaders, bankers, leading Republicans and Democrats uh, will frolic and engage in a vortex of black magic sex rituals beneath a giant stone owl voiced by someone sounding eerily like Walter Cronkite. You'll find an article on the Bohemian Grove posted once again, in the slide carousel. That's richardserrett.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up, register, become a member. Uh, Just click on the blue member area button on the left-hand side. Registering is fast, easy, and it's free. You'll gain access to all kinds of member area, member-only areas, uh, including the book club, past guests, and past show archives dating back to the summer of 2012. And occasionally, uh, you'll also receive my newsletter, uh, The Dead Drop, uh, or perhaps an audio e-blast, which is often an episode of my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet. Uh, something else going on this summer, it's also an annual event, military exercises south of the 49th parallel. Uh, but this year's drills, uh, which will take place for about two weeks in July, although some are su- suggesting they may last well until September, uh, this year's drills have a lot of people worried. And many of you in the U.S. have been emailing and tweeting me asking me to do a show on this year's Pentagon-sponsored operation, codenamed Jade Helm 15. Uh, These exercises will see U.S. servicemen and women stretched out across the southwestern United States participating in war games. And now what has a lot of people nervous is that part of the exercise will include the simulation of apprehension and detention of dissidents. Also, the exercises are going to be taking place in states that have been battling of, no, of recently uh, with the feds over state rights. 
Most of these states, Texas, Utah, Arizona, for example, are red states or Republican states. And the upshot is that many people are fearing that Jade Helm 15 is some kind of precursor or perhaps cover for a declaration of martial law. So that's where we're headed for the next 45 minutes or so. What is Jade Helm 15? Why are so many people upset and are their fears justified? Joel Skousen is certainly no stranger to this program. He's a frequent visitor. I appreciate his reasonableness. His analysis is very considered and rational and well-reasoned and well-sourced. He's, uh, he doesn't engage in scare tactics or fear-mongering or sensationalism. He, of course, is the publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief. Hey, Joel, how are you? I'm just fine, Richard. It's so good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Now, here we are uh, just uh, nicely over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and we all, of course, um, have a great deal of respect for the, uh, the men and women, both sides of the border. I, I mentioned on my program uh, and on Coast to Coast uh, recently that even though uh, I'm up here in Canada and we, we commemorate and, and um, uh, honor our uh, veterans, living and dead, on November the 11th, I, I wanted to take time to talk about um, the U.S., um, the men and women in the armed services, even though, again, we don't mark Memorial Day here, because, uh, as I said, we uh, owe a great deal of our uh, our, our um, level of um, living up here in Canada, our, our style of living, uh, due to, in no small measure, the security that's afforded to us by living next door to the greatest, most powerful armed services on the planet. Um, so I wanted to get that out there because this uh, Jade Helm, 15 um, paramilitary operation that we're going to talk about training exercise, military training exercise. I don't want I don't want people in the military to think in any way, you know that that this is a shot against them. Uh, but there is a great deal of concern, particularly in places like Texas and so forth. First, let's let let me have you give us a, a thumbnail sketch of what a Jade Helm 15 is ostensibly or officially. What is it supposed to be? Well, officially, it is um, the largest annual training exercise, and it has been done before. That's why this is Jade Helm 15. Um, but this, um, and, and there are various components to it. Um, uh, there are, you know, uh, some special forces involved. Uh, they are uh, going in civvies or in civilian wear um, so that they try to blend into a community. This is going to take place around. Uh, Houston. Uh, there's a, um, you know, Utah, even though Utah and Southern California are um, tagged as, uh, or Texas tagged as hostile uh, states, this is typical of what they normally do in, uh, uh, you know, a red flag exercise or any other type of thing where you have an opposition force. Now, normally it's a, it's a military force acting as the opposition. In this case, they're just designating certain states as uh, potentially hostile. And they aren't really revealing too much about what the exercise has to do with hostil- uh, hostility. But, you know, we can surmise from Jade Helm that, um, uh, and we have evidence for this, that they are going to practice a higher level of extraction of potential enemies or dissidents than they've ever done before, because these extractions are going to go across the nation. They're going to be airlifted out. They're going to be uh, deposited into custody and put into prison-type facilities. They've been practicing on, on several levels. Uh, one in Florida, I know there was one that was videotaped by uh, 
and, and released uh, to the public where they were practicing, you know, seeing people hands over their head and ushering them into uh, enclosed camp-like facilities. So clearly they are uh, practicing detention-type uh, things. Now, as a former military officer, uh, you know, we've always practiced certain types of detention. When I went through pilot flight training in both the Air Force and then later on in Navy flight training, we did have mock prison camps whereby we were taken prisoners of war, we were interrogated, some mild uh, torture and other things to see, you know, how much you could take. Uh, but this is a different thing because this is not just training people, for, uh, military people for POWs or law enforcement for, to be a, in a POW. This is talking about taking civilians, uh, prisoners. Right. That's uh, what has people so riled up because, um, I mean, ostensibly, the, um, uh, the military is saying that they're, they're conducting these exercises in the U.S., Southwest, in places, as you say, like Utah, Arizona, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, uh, many of them red states. Uh, but they're saying they're doing it there because these states are uh, similar in terrain to which it, areas that they might be in, facing in combat in places like the Middle East. Do you buy that? Because of it's a, a no, desert-type area. No, I don't, because, in fact, they aren't having, in Utah, they're actually only having a logistics uh, exercise here. And uh, it's a, actually a very small portion, at least that which is, has been notified. It's the, the designated unit here is a logistics unit. So it's practicing, you know, probably driving across some, you know, hostile terrain, which may or uh, probably not related to these hostage-taking type practices, which are going to take place in Texas and perhaps uh, Southern California. Um, and that's what has led to the Walmart rumors of, about their relationship to Jade Helm. Yes, I do and want to talk about, about that. Uh, okay. The, the, um, let me, let me, let, let's just hold off on the Walmart, and we'll get to that yeah, because we're coming up on a break. But let me talk a little bit more about the logistics. And uh, let's talk about who's involved. I know the Green Berets, the U.S. Navy SEALs, Air Force Special Operations, the Marines, uh, 82nd Airborne. There's some suggestion that even UN forces are involved. Is there any any evidence that there are UN forces none, involved? None, none whatsoever. No evidence of that whatsoever. And I might also say that I've been in contact with military people who have been involved in similar exercises and are tasked to go into this exercise. And they are a little upset because they say that we have never been given in any exercise, any direct indication that we are targeting American civilians. And this is true. Uh, the government isn't dumb enough to go and tell the military people, like they did in the Marine Corps in Camp Pendleton one time, you know, would you shoot on doing a survey, would you shoot, you know, American civilians if they were, uh, you, know, or, you know, trying to take their weapons away? They won't do that. That really raised a stink in the United States. But nevertheless, they are still practicing for something that I don't believe uh, pertains to, for example, the, the hiding among the population and seeing if you can be discovered. Uh, there's no way that American Caucasians are going to go into any country that we are currently or in the future have any targeted uh, you know, conflicts in and can blend in. You can't blend in in Africa. You can't blend in in Latin America. So it's bogus to say that we're practicing blending in in the United States because that transfers to a foreign location. It does not. They are practicing, even though they haven't been told this, 
They've been told they're practicing for overseas, but in fact they're practicing, I believe, the people who designed this extra are getting people accustomed to practicing blending in, in America in civilian, uh, you know, uh, Attire. The military says that the, these exercises are going to be conducted uh, late night into the early morning, let's say 11 p.m. to 4 a.m., when most people will be asleep. Uh, what are your sources telling you? Well, some of them, yes. Uh, but uh, the blending in, that doesn't do any good to try to blend in at 4 a.m. in the morning. True. Uh, you know, you really need to practice blending in, and they will be practicing daylight of blending and seeing who gets discovered or who gets notified, and the police are working with them. They're going to be the source of notification so that if any of these units traipsing around in the city get recognized or somebody calls the police on them, then they've been caught. But once again, as I say, this is not uh, in any way uh, necessary to practice for overseas. In fact, we use other nationalities overseas to blend in. We use Israelis, we use Israeli Arabs, we use uh, Latin American countries that are uh, allied with us, like El Salvador and Guatemala. Uh, they send people in if we're going to do special operations. We don't send American. Or we right. take Latino. Okay, I've got to uh, take America. a time out here. Take, got to take a time out, Joel. We'll come back and continue to discuss Jade Helm 15. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. We're back with Joel Skousen. Joel, before we continue to discuss Jade Helm 15, uh, tell us how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief. Well, the World Affairs Brief is uh, my Internet news analysis service. It comes every Friday uh, to people's subscribers' inboxes. It costs $48 a year, which is only a, less than a dollar an issue per week. And uh, people can subscribe by going to my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and they can get a free sample issue of the current brief by simply emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Who is uh, ultimately at the, at the top uh, of this operation? Is it the Department of Homeland Security? Is it the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Who? No, it's the Pentagon. It's the Pentagon. Uh, yeah, this has been, this is a joint service thing, so it, it is uh, developed in the Pentagon, and they're the ones who do the tasks uh, of the various armed services that are going to participate in this. And is, is, is there a noticeable difference, based on what your sources are, are, you t- are telling you about this one, compared to... Uh, as you say, this is an annual. I mean, has there been a, a sea change in terms of the way these operations are being uh, conducted? For example, the one that was held last year. Were there any red flags about that one? Well, they were done locally. There was no... Uh, this is the first one. This is a sea change because it is the first nationwide one. All the other ones have been localized in a particular state, and maybe they might cross the state into... Uh, you know, another state, but it's it's regionalized. This is nationwide. They're going to have uh, participants all across the continent, and they're going to be practicing uh, taking people, taking special forces on flights, you know, Duazin in them and another, uh, capturing people, taking those by helicopter, then by plane, and maybe even by rail, you know, to other things. So they're going to practice a nationwide threat scenario where they ship people to and from around the nation. That's the first time this has been done uh, on this kind of, of, of a scale. Is uh, People in these affected areas, uh, the U.S. Southwest, we mentioned the states, uh, Texas, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, California, are, is, are they going to, to, to notice? Is there going to be an impact? Are they going to see um, armored military carriers rolling down streets? Are they going to see black helicopters uh, above their homes? Are they going to notice it? 
most of them won't notice anything at all uh, because this is nationwide and it's dispersed. There'll be small unit forces working in various cities. So most cities in Texas won't see anything at all. And even if you're in Houston, when, you know, they're supposedly undercover in civilian, you probably won't notice anything at all either. The logistics unit in Utah, for example, is done in south-central Utah, which is very rural, very remote, doubtful anybody's going to see them at all. Um, so one of the things I'm worried about is the stories, you know, about big columns of military forces running around, and this is a preparation for martial law. It is not. I do believe that the ones who are planning this are, in fact, prepping the military and prepping people, getting them accustomed to having military forces in and around them. So where they are visible, they will be very visible, And um, but I don't think this is going to be like some of the very worst of the military exercises before that have been done without announcing anything. Black helicopters shooting blanks in the middle of the night without telling the the people of a city, and this has happened in various cities in the South, and it just causes havoc. All the phones light up, 911 lights up. That's just unconscionable to run that kind of an exercise without warning people. At least people have been warned on this so that they're not going to be shell-shocked by what happens. Is, but are you concerned at all that, uh, um, I mean, you're a military, you're ex-military, when you do an operation, don't you generally, like this, an exercise, a drill, don't you generally change the names so that it doesn't sound like the United States, you know, military is, is drilling uh, uh, or preparing for some eventuality and, and naming the states? You know, why don't they make up a name for Texas? And, and if they're really sincere about, you know, wanting it to mirror some sort of a situation in the Middle East, you know why don't they why don't they name it after a a, a a province in in Iraq or something? Why do they name the states? That to me is a flag. Yes, it is a flag, and uh, normally in the exercises that I've been involved in, there are always fictional names for states and countries that you're dealing with. They don't want to offend any normal country by naming them exactly in an exercise as a target country. But the government has been doing something for several years now, starting with the two billion rounds of ammunition that DHS supposedly was ordered. Now, this was a requisition, a requisition that was never filled, by the way. Ah, interesting. And there's been, there's been several other types of things like this, and I think what's happening with, in combination with NSA spying, the government is trying to, how should it, raise red flags, uh, throw out bizarre scenarios and things just to see who reacts, and they're tracking and putting them on lists. And that's perhaps more dangerous than the hype about imminent martial law, which is false, is the fact that people who get caught up in in broadcasting and, and getting all inflamed about this uh, get on lists, because that's what NSA spying is really all about. It's not about terrorism, which is a manufactured threat by black operations, uh, as I covered in the World Affairs Brief. But the government is tracking dissidents. That's why the NSA spying is real. It's out there. It's not going to stop, despite their claims to the to the contrary. Uh, Texas Governor uh, Abbott uh, uh, took a great deal of heat in the media and even by uh, um, Republicans uh, because he sort of heeded the concerns of uh, Texans and announced that he wants the Texas National Guard to monitor these operations. Does Abbott deserve the kind of... Uh, 
um, a criticism that he's getting from fellow Republicans and, and the press for this. They say that he's... Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely not. I mean, this is a reasonable reaction from a governor where you have a secret and not-so-secret operation that affects your state, and you have citizen concerns. You send your own people out and say, we're going to monitor, and we expect you to tell us everything you're going to do, and I don't want any surprises in my state. After all, these are states' rights, and the federal government cannot, except on military bases, go out among civilian populations without getting permission. And city uh, states ought to be very, very firm about this. There's too many mayors in the city that just feel privileged that they're having the military coming in and spending money, and, uh, and you know, they really ought to say, you don't do anything in my jurisdiction unless you get permission. Here's the and quote here. We, we decide now. Here's the, the quote here from uh, Todd Smith, who's a former Republican member of the House. He accused Governor Abbott of Texas of, quote, pandering to idiots, end quote. Uh, in other words, the conspiracy theorists. Pandering to idiots. Pretty harsh uh, uh, a language. And extremely it- harsh. Extremely harsh. I mean, you've got to remember that that's proof that this is a guy who is a member of the globalist establishment. Um, anybody who... It's one thing to be conservative. It's one thing, to, but, you know, they should be treated with respect. I mean, it's true. There's a lot of bizarre hype going on about but not all of the hype is bizarre. I mean, not all of the concern is bizarre. Much of the concern is, as I said, because this is a major expansion. This is a red flag when you're doing nationwide transporting of prisoners across uh, the country. Uh, I just don't think they're preparing for something overseas for that. You're from uh, from Utah. Um, what's going on in, in, in your state? Has your governor asked local and federal officials, or sorry, uh, local and state officials uh, to monitor the um, Not the at drill? all. There has been no reaction. Our, you know, even though Utah and Idaho are the two most conservative states in the union, uh, they both have mainstream Republican governors who are bending over backwards in order to try to please the establishment. And so they're not about to raise uh, any red flags at all or show concern. In fact, oftentimes when sheriffs, for example, uh, stated that the feds aren't going to, we're not going to enforce federal law unless they get permission to come through this, the governors come down hard on them and threaten them. That's how much they want to please the establishment. And uh, this is a problem in conservative states. They would give the state away if it weren't for very strong conservative legislators, uh, you know, in both Idaho and Utah to keep the governor in check. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, You mentioned uh, states' rights uh, earlier, and uh, it's interesting that a number of the the states involved uh, in this uh, military drill or exercise, Jade Helm 15, uh, are very vocal in terms of uh, um, lobbying, lobbying for states' rights. Of course, Texas, the Republic of Texas, uh, perhaps chief among them. Uh, is, there, is that a coincidence? Well, it's probably the reason why Texas was you know, listed as a hostile state. But my opinion is that opposition to government in Texas is more in theory than real. Texas has become very much a worldly state, uh, very much, uh, you know, big money state. uh, And uh, there are a lot of patriots in Texas, it is true. But generally speaking, Texas is not as conservative as people think it is. You mentioned Walmart earlier. And uh, several months ago, we had the the sudden 
uh, unannounced uh, closing of five Walmarts uh, in the U.S. in these particular states affected by Jade Helm 15. Uh, and all five, the, the, the claim was, an, at least initially, that they closed due to some unforeseen plumbing issue. How are the closing, or how is the closing of these Walmarts related to Jade Helm 15, if at all, Joel? They aren't related at all, but there is a reason for the phony nature of Walmart's claim in closing these. The plumbing issue is absolutely bogus. Uh, and let me explain. First of all, it's impossible that you'd have five stores with a sufficient plumbing issue that they all have to be closed. In none of those stores were there ever a, a building permit condemnation of the store requiring it to close. There was never a building permit issued to... Uh, to remedy plumbing problems, and we have no record of any plumber being called to these stores. I mean, we're talking something very serious if you're going to have to close the store. The only thing that could justify that is some backflow of sewage into the store that contaminated it, and that might close it for, you know, a month, but not a permanent closing. Here's the, the rumors were flying crazy because, you know, Jade Helm was coming up with these Walmart claims. People smelled a rat, legitimately so. But then we came up with all these rumors about tunnels coming up in the middle of the floor of Walmart and they were going to be used as, as detention centers. There was other rumors that were going to be used. FEMA was taking over them for supplies and military. So one person saw a military vehicle outside, well, and that just sealed it. You know, it had to be a military takeover law. It wasn't anything so nefarious, and there is no relationship that I could find with Jade Helm. What I did find, however, is that this was retaliation for labor unrest in Walmart. These five stores, the only thing they have in common is that they have been at the forefront pushing for higher wages and benefits and other union organizing type of activity in Walmart. And one of the proofs or the evidences that this was retaliation against labor is that in every one of these five stores, it was announced to the employees that were laid off that you don't get your job back when the store reopens. You have to apply as a new employee. Now, that is new in the United States because almost in, invariably, when you're laid off, you have first call when you get the store comes back online to get your old job back. Not so in this case. They want to be able to pick and choose who they're going to hire back, and I'll bet the labor, you know, organized people, organizing people are not going to get their jobs back. So is it possible that the the hysteria uh, that was swirling around the closing of these Walmarts and people were trying to connect it to uh, Jade Helm, uh, is it possibly that was some sort of a, a, a psyop in order to, to, to distract uh, people from what was really going on at Walmart, which is a, which is a, a labor-busting uh, movement, a labor-busting movement. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, there is a, a unit... Uh, in the uh, military and Homestead Air Force Base dedicated specifically towards spreading disinformation. All right, I've got to jump in here. We've got to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll pick up on that point. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief, as we discuss Jade Helm 15 here on The Conspiracy Show. We are back with Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Joel, uh, once again, tell us how to get uh, or how to subscribe to World Affairs Brief. Uh... Listeners can go to worldaffairsbrief.com, there's a big red subscribe button, but before they do so, there's a summary of the brief, the front page, and it tells you that if you want to get a free sample copy, just email 
editor at World Affairs Brief and request one, and I'll happy, be happy to send it out. All right. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about um, uh, a special unit in the military uh, that's involved in psyops to distract people, to confuse people. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. It really isn't to, to distract. What it is is to discredit dissidents. In other words, they they get on Free Republic, they get on Alex Jones, they get on others, but you know Hagman and Intel Hub and uh, Steve Quayle. They all the sites where you know conspiracy believers uh, you know tend to, to check for news. The sites and they and they posit these false stories, these false conspiracies, and they have email lists and they get it sent around to other people. They get people hyped up and then they watch through NSA spying of who responds and how they respond, and it's part of the system that the government has, uh, I believe, to build lists on, on who dissidents are. And so I think, you know, listeners need to be very careful about what they repeat. So much of the stuff that seems credible isn't credible when you check, uh, do the minimal checking. And that's one of the reasons why I publish the World Affairs Brief. I must spend at least one or two topics every week, you know, debunking something. Even though I'm a believer in conspiracy, legitimate conspiracies have evidence for them, and uh, there are certain people that play to it. Um, I can mention several outfits. Uh, RT, Russia Today, plays up conspiracy because they're looking on behalf of Russia to create division in the United States. They want a fissure between government and citizens, so they're not playing up to conspiracy because they, they like us or, or want to back us, but because they want to create division. And of course, there's the ultimate disinformation expert called EU Times, a non-existent news outlet, supposedly out of Europe, uh, sometime writes under the name of Sorsha Fall, another non-existent person. It can be traced back normally to David Booth in England, and he always starts out every bogus story with sources inside the Kremlin tell me, and then there's the story, and they're off the wall, always wrong. But that's there are disinformation out that's out there, both in our government and in foreign governments, that play to the conspiracy crowds. So you have to be very careful. There is evil in government. There is corruption. There is conspiracy. But you have to be careful to make sure that you get credible information. Uh, for those people that are just uh, joining us now, let's let's state it again, uh, your position on what Jade Helm 15 is really about. This is not about bringing in martial law uh, this summer in the, in the United States. So what is Jade Helm 15? What is the intended goal? The intended goal of Jade Helm at the military level, of course, is to train various different types of interaction with dissidents in the country. Now, they are being told they're practicing against dissidents in foreign countries, uh, and there'll be play actors playing like that. But we suspect, and I think it's credible, that the government is, in fact, doing two things, accustoming the military and law enforcement to practice capturing and processing and incarcerating dissidents and transporting them long distance. Practicing that does require training. Uh, it's not an easy thing to transfer and change custody from one thing to another. And secondary, to get... And this pertains not just to Jade Helm, but all other military exercises that get in the face of the public, unannounced or announced, is accustoming the pe people uh, of the United States to see military intervening in their local affairs and being afraid and being and saying yes to whatever authority tells them to do, as was demonstrated in the Boston Marathon bombing, rousting people out of the house without a warrant, hands over the head, just uncalled for.
military vehicles, APCs running around the streets, uncalled for for two people, um, you now, know, at large. Now, the transportation of and rounding up of, of dissidents as part of a drill, so play acting, we know that during such drills, sometimes they go live. Is it possible this could be used for cover for rounding up actual dissidents? No, I don't believe so at all. I think it's way, way too early. I think that the government's preparation for militarization of police, tracking dissidents, practicing incarceration, building prison camps, and most of those, by the way, are prison facilities on decommissioned military bases, not camps per se like Stalag 13. Uh, uh, I think that's in preparation for when we get a, a world war then you'll have the excuse to be able to do almost anything relative to martial law when this country's been attacked and it's under duress. You can justify things under war. If they tried to do something without a major excuse, it would convince millions that there truly was a conspiracy against liberty in this country. They're not that dumb. Okay, let's take a time out. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, back for one more go-around here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief, and uh, we are discussing a Jade Helm 15 uh, coming to a town uh, or township near you if you're in the American Southwest uh, sometime this, uh, well, in, in July. Uh, how long is it? Uh, two weeks in mid-July? Well, there's conflicting reports about this. It's supposed to be two weeks, but some people say it's going to take place clear through November, and I doubt the following things. You know, it's just very expensive to keep people in a military exercise for that long, unless they spread out certain portions of them. Um, but the military isn't really being very straightforward about, you know, answering questions. They've given enough to create a firestorm, but they've been very, very slow if recalcitrant about giving any clarifications about this. But it should only be two weeks if it's a normal exercise. If they spread it out over a longer period of time, then it's going to be harder for the people to track, and it'll be harder for the governor of Texas to to track. People will get tired of hearing about it. Uh, If this exercise is not designed to prepare for uh, a battle in the Middle East, that it's to prepare for uh, social unrest, rounding up of dissidents in the United States, uh, you mentioned, you know, World War Three, uh, but is there something that that the the uh, the feds may know that they're not telling the rest of us that could be coming down the pipe, like uh, another uh, economic catastrophe that could make 2007 look like a walk in the park, or some sort of uh, other type of cataclysmic event? Um, you know, I'm thinking of you know the day after tomorrow, which you know I notice they they play that practically every other week on television. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, is there something else that they know that we don't that they could be preparing for? I doubt it, frankly. Um, first of all, let's talk about a big false flag operation like 9/11. I mean, uh, that created more conspiracy believers than anything else because they made so many mistakes that pointed back to government involvement that terrorists simply could not have done, like loading explosives in building number seven and then lying about it and then covering up for it. So I don't think there's going to be another false flag operation. I think there's going to be small ones like the uh, Garland, Texas uh, shoot-up of the... uh, uh, the so-called that ISIS took credit for. I don't think it was ISIS at all. I think it was two patsies that the government uh, uh, induced to, to shoot up because, you know, this whole thing about tweeting 30 minutes before you go on an attack is just ridiculous. Terrorists don't do that. 
any more than terrorists in the 9-11 attack used their credit card, you know, with their real names to order airplane tickets. These are so many telltale signs of a black operation. Uh, and they're, you know, almost everyone but one that I've counted of the 20 or 30 terrorist prosecutions done in the U.S. and Britain in the past two years uh, have been done in the presence of an agent provocateur from the FBI who gives them the plans, who does the provocation, who gives them, uh, you know, true conspiracy facts uh, in order to get them inflamed and then uh, presents the plan, gives them an explosive, sometimes inert, sometimes real, and then arrests them. That sounds like the 93 World Trade Center bombing with uh, uh, That's Ramsey. That's exactly right. Right. Yosef Ramsey. Yeah, the government yeah, knew about that as well. And uh, so I am afraid that... Uh, uh, there's uh, there's not going to be a major event. There could be a stock market correction, even as bad as 20%. You know, 2007, you know, you had a correction of about 10% uh, in um, that was the October crash of, uh, what, 98 or so that went down another 10%. A 20% correction, because it's really high in fly, still would not collapse the economy. And there have been so many people hyping collapse of the economy since 2010. It hasn't happened. Any one of those years, I haven't heard an apology from any of them. They just keep pushing the date, saying, well, it's going to collapse next year. I don't think it's going to collapse. I think they can keep milking this economy along with um, moderate injections of cash and creation of money without reaching hyperinflation, without collapsing the dollar. And I think they're waiting for war to give them cover. I mean, when war comes, the leaders are still the heroes. They don't get the blame. It's Russia and China that get the blame. And our own leaders, who have a globalist agenda, I think, ready to put upon us after this war starts as a solution to our problems, are going to still claim to be the heroes. If they pulled this without a legitimate excuse, you know, martial law takes hundreds of thousands of troops. Where are you going to get that? It slows the economy to a standstill. Everybody after going through checkpoints, curfews. They would get the blame. People would be terribly upset if you tried to pull something. So I really don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to be muddling through. The economy is not doing well. Uh, it's not collapsing, but it is declining slowly. There are deflationary forces, and that's why I don't think we're going to see a, uh, any rise out of zero interest rates. If it any, it'll be a quarter of a percent or something just for a token show. But I think we're going to keep muddling through. When people look and see what Russia and China are doing, and China especially getting very aggressive and threatening in the East, you can see in this major building program of militarization, they're not doing this for defensive reasons. There's going to be conflict here in the world. I still think it's four or five years off at least, because Russia and China are in a major building program. It probably won't strike during that time. But I tell you, when war comes, I think that's the time to watch out for martial law and other things targeting dissidents. You make an excellent point. Uh, the number of, of uh, forces that would be required on the ground in the United States uh, in order to enforce a martial law, it would take perhaps even millions of troops. And uh, yeah. they would have to close... Probably 500,000 troops. They would have to close three-quarters of their military bases around the world and bring those boys and those men and women home in order to do that. So that would be our first clue, I would think. Yeah, and you'd harness, you'd have to harness all law enforcement sheriffs, everybody's personnel. I mean, it would just you know, irritate the death out of everyone. It just would if there weren't sufficient reasons. So that's why I think, I mean, clearly they're preparing for something. This militarization of police with armored personnel carriers and SWAT teams and automatic weapons and uh, 
special uh, crowd control weapons, and these are not for peaceful times. These are for a wartime scenario. No, yeah, and we need to we need to be continuously, uh, you know, monitoring that as well. Because yeah. now, yeah. The, um, and the other thing that would have to come before uh, martial law uh, would would have to be. You know, severe restrictions even further on the on the Second Amendment. They have to get the guns out of the hands of uh, everyday Americans. What do you see uh, in that sort of ongoing effort? Well, you know, I think if they couldn't get a gun control bill after Sandy Hook, which also was a government false flag operation, Adam Lanza was a controlled individual, and they purposely did it to, and they couldn't do it even then. They got nothing out of that. One or two states, New York and Colorado, you know, got gun control and immediately threw out a lot of those politicians because... Of the and population. Connecticut. Connecticut clamped down as well. And Connecticut clamped down, and that was more acceptable because they were the target of all that propaganda. But the point is, um, I don't think you're ever going to see gun control um, until war comes. And when war comes, I mean, believe me, the government is taking records and building a registration list. They're not going to it's probably incomplete to the tune of about 50%. Um, but you'll see, I think, a gun confiscation when war comes because all things can be justified under wartime conditions. But I don't think we're going to see it till then. I just don't think there's the atmosphere. And they, You know, we used to have a, a shooting week that they used to blow up, and now, and a lot of them were under suspicious circumstances that just didn't seem like real people, unless they were mind-controlled or hypnotized or you know, screwed up in some way. But, you know, it's kind of calmed down. It's almost like they're starting to say, you know, this isn't working. People are wising up. We're going to have to wait for the big one. In fact, it's incredible. A gun control sentiment has, sentiment has, has decreased with all of this hype. The more they threw these, throw these false flag shooting incidents, and the more people shoot people up in malls and restaurants, the more people say... We don't need gun control. We need to get armed. And so concealed carry permits are just up. Uh, and the number of people who are being saved by concealed carry, and the media never covers that. No, no. We had one happen in Utah here, and I shot at a carjacking occurred. And the guy pulled out his, you know, and, and uh, said, stop. You know, he was uh, throwing the woman out of the car, and he rushed the guy with a gun, and he shot him dead and uh, didn't get covered by the media. It's backfired. It's backfired. And you're right, it's interesting. that We had that uh, a period where it, there was, it seemed to be, a shooting a week, practically. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. that's died down. Interesting. Yeah. Well, are you in, I mean, that that's somewhat encouraging. Obviously, it's encouraging that, you know, people aren't being shot, but I mean the fact that, that uh, you know, this these false flags are not having the intended effect, and people are not budging, by and large, on the Second Amendment. You must be encouraged by that. People are they're immune to them now. It just happens so often. People say, oh, um, another shooting. Well, it's certainly not going to be solved by taking good people's guns away. The Especially time... People are army. I mean, look at the ammun- run on ammunition. Look at the run on weapons. The weapons sold in the United States are doubling and tripling. Right. So gun control is not working. People say, we've got to get armed. And, of course, all the liberals who believe in gun control are armed and are armed guards. Of course. They're the biggest hypocrites that there are. Um, what of the attempts to sort of do an end run around that type of gun legislation by by using the EPA and uh, trying yeah, to... Banning lead. Banning lead. They've got, 
Yeah, they've shut down the major lead producer in the United States, and it's going to co- it has caused lead prices to double. And so that's one of the tactics. Uh, they're going to use environmental. They've tried to do the U.N. thing, but people really know the rules here. You can't do that without a treaty, and there's just no sentiment for that in the United States. The U.S. has signed all those things, but they can't get it through the Senate. Um, Someday that may change, but I don't think so. Right, right. Uh, Joe, obviously you're going to be with us many times before, uh, in the run-up to the uh, the 2016 presidential elections. Uh, it's a long time away, but just very, give us a quick comment on, on uh, uh, sort of the um, the landscape right now in terms of yeah. uh, Hillary versus Jeb. Is there uh, someone else in the, the GOP or, or in the Democratic Party that, that you see emerging? Well, uh, Hillary is going to be the, the nominee. It's her turn uh, for them. But I think the establishment has never wanted Hillary to be president. She would actually try to run the presidency. They prefer a compliant puppet like George W. Bush or, or uh, Barack Obama, who they have plenty of dirt on that they can't dare move. Of course, they got plenty of dirt on Hillary, too, including her, her million-dollar slush funds or secret bank accounts in Switzerland, et cetera. But... You know, the establishment has really let the cat out of the bag about Hillary. A lot of bad press they're allowing in mainstream publications. Like, I don't think they intend to get Hillary elected. I think the public is so fed up with Obama and the Democratic agenda that the establishment is going to give us a controlled Republican to quell the unrest and who will, of course, do more damage to conservatives than Hillary. You know, conservatives would rise up in strength against Hillary, but they'll lay down and die in favor of someone who talks a good story. The problem is, Stephen's having a real tough time finding Republicans that the conservatives will go for, you know, the Republican base, getting the nomination is the problem. They can manipulate the election once they've got a nominee, but because they're intending to give the public a controlled Republican, they can't afford to have a Romney get the nomination and then defeat him in the general election. They've got to defeat him in the nomination process. And what I've noticed here is that everybody in his dog is coming into the race. We've got over a dozen already in the race, and it looks like another 10 are going to announce. And what they're going to do with a split and divide and, and conquer and how they're going to de- uh, determine who's in the debate, this is going to be a real problem. Indeed, it'll be an interesting race. Uh, Gotta fly, uh, Joel. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for this, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Richard. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief. The website is richardserrett.com, your portal to the Conspiracy Show. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. AM 740. Thanks for inviting me into your home, uh, your RV, your long-haul truck, and your taxi. Uh, I want to uh, say a special hello to the taxi drivers, uh, great supporters of the program, and uh, I appreciate hearing from you as well. All of you listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 Zuma Radio in Toronto, 50,000 watts of truth and love which, thanks to uh, some atmospheric skip and uh, primarily it being the largest broadcast footprint in North America, uh, can be heard from northern Ontario all the way south to the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota and all parts in between. All of you listening in on one of our 30-plus affiliates stateside, 
Special thanks to Chris Whitting and his team at Syndication Networks. All of you listening in on the podcast from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com, or streaming us live on ZoomerRadio.ca. However, and wherever you're listening, welcome and God bless you. Uh, Next week on the program, a special guest host, our contest winner from Follow the Truth 2 back in November in Oshawa, Richard Astley will be uh, with me in studio. Richard also got to help book the show. And Richard wanted to do a show on Bigfoot. Uh, So we've got Melba Ketchum, who will be with us to discuss her DNA analysis, she says, proves the existence of Sasquatch. Uh, Also, Richard uh, Astley requested a show about the legendary director Stanley Kubrick. So uh, Jay Widener uh, will be here to talk about uh, Kubrick. Uh, That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Make sure to tune in now. Uh, I think next week we'll also be ready to do the official unveil of the Conspiracy Show app. And hopefully we'll uh, cajole uh, Sharon Forster uh, to join us for a few minutes. She's the uh, the designer of the app. And uh, she's shy, but she's just brilliant and she's done a great job with this app. Uh, it'll be available for both iPhone and uh, Android through the iTunes Store and Google Play. Rosemary Ellen Guiley uh, joins us at the bottom of the hour for our Paranormal News Roundup. It's been a while since Rosemary's been with us. Uh, she's, she's been very busy with conferences around the uh, the continent, uh, but we finally hooked up, and tonight is the night. Uh, Gary Freud is the host of a very popular podcast out of uh, southern Ontario called Conspiracy Cafe, and he's been on this program a number of times uh, to discuss everything from the German Wings plane crash uh, and the shooting incident up on uh, Parliament Hill in Ottawa last year. Uh, George is a very unique broadcaster and researcher, in that most of what he talks about is his own original investigative work. It's not derivative. He does, he does the legwork. He digs deep and uncovers things most everybody else seems to overlook. Uh, and that makes him a very rare commodity and a very useful resource. And uh, to top it off, uh, he's a hell of a nice guy. Uh, but recently, uh, George has been having a very difficult time. He has lost his longtime partner, girlfriend, soulmate, love of his life. Uh, She didn't pass away, thank God. He didn't lose her to another man. Uh, She didn't run off and and join a commune. No, she joined a UFO cult. It's not the uh, Order of the Solar Temple or the Raelians or some offshoot of Heaven's Gate. uh, Something else entirely. And he's here to share with us what happened, how his partner of nine years got swept up in this thing. Hey, George, how are you? Oh, good, thanks. Well, you've got a, a pretty good attitude considering what you've been through. Um, let's let's start off with uh, explaining what ha- what you have been through. You you have a uh, had a, a long term uh, partner um, that essentially you have lost to a UFO cult. Is that correct? Uh, in a nutshell, it's uh, you know we're barking up different trees uh, more or less. And, uh, you know, I just look at them pretty much as what's described in the Bible, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And they're two separate and distinct trees. And the tree of knowledge is very tempting, and it lures people to all sorts of exciting things that, uh, you know, stimulate your mind and want to lead you down a trail. But uh, I understand that as a a very false trail, uh, you know, right from my youth, that the ultimate uh, serpent in the tree of life is Satan. And, you know, in the original Hebrew, that's Chetan. 
And, uh, you know, so I take a lot of the things that come from the tree of life with a grain of salt, especially when they spoil or poison things and uh, turn you away from the ultimate divining rod, logic. Well, let's let's back up. Um, uh, Let's describe uh, this is a a lady friend uh, that you had known or have known for some time. And what happened? Uh, Well, she just got more and more involved with, uh, you know, a lot of people that uh, basically espouse what I would say are false doctrines on the Internet and really start to believe them. And like most people who are uh, fraudulent or, you know, pushing something uh, a certain way, they're telling you everything you want to hear. And that's, uh, you know, one of the major warning signs you're dealing with a fraud as opposed to truth, because truth is painful, and you know right away when you get a truth. It's, you know, it can jar you right down to your soul, but part of it's a learning curve, and, uh, you know, we still communicate and such like that, but, uh, you know, by and large, uh, that's not a path I'm going to go down, uh, you know, to start looking that I'm transcending into a light being and, uh, you know, moving away from the earth and getting away from the three-dimensional sphere of uh, human reality and such like that. Uh, was she going to meetings? Did she start to go to meetings? I mean, that I'm not too sure about because she's retired and I'm not, and uh, you know she's got a lot of time on her hands when I'm working and such like that. So, you know, there probably are people of a similar genre that she meets and uh, communicates with, and that's all well and good. But uh, you know, it's not exactly you know something that I partake in or would wish to partake in, so we just started moving, you know, grossly down different trails. Well, this is kind of an, an alien abduction of another kind, um, because, you know, I, I, obviously I talk a lot about UFOs on this program. The UFO phenomenon is real. Uh, 150 million uh, people since 1947 have seen an unidentified flying object. Uh, now, what people make of that is entirely different. I, I have my own view, and I think we share one, George. I mean, I, I put everything through my Bible filter, and, and I believe we are not talking about extraterrestrials. We are talking about interdimensionals from uh, an, an angelic or uh, demonic realm. Uh, obviously, a, a large, I believe, a large uh, proportion or a large portion of, of UFO sightings are advanced, you know, sort of black ops weaponry. Um, but uh, what is it that your ex, if I can call her that, what is her view of uh, after going or being lured into this saucer religion, if I can call it that, what is her view of the uh, the ET or UFO phenomenon? Well, by and large, it's more of a, of a New Age religion, light energy philosophy, where the Earth is moving through uh, a different field. She calls it the photon belt, and it's raising frequency of people and changing them inside and that this manifestation or change is going to such a degree that it's actually changing the makeup of your body to go from a carbon-based life form to a silicon-based life form. And I'm quite the skeptic, you know, show me a tissue sample, and, uh, you know, let's put it to the test. The other thing is if we're transiting, uh, we're all on the same sphere, where if we're transiting some, uh, you know, belt of photon that's raising frequency, it's like if you and I go outside on a cold January day, we have to feel the cold. If one feels the cold and the other one doesn't feel the cold, well, it's probably not logical and it's, we're not getting exactly what we're being sold uh, unless you come to me with frostbite and then, you know, you can show me that it's cold and maybe I'm mistaken for thinking that way. And, uh, you know, so when everything goes to the logic test or, you know, I guess some people would call it the smell test, I see a lot of it as, uh, as a failure and uh, as I look deeper into, uh, you know, the light being philosophy, and uh, it's almost like a religion, 
and uh, a lot of it is very negative. It goes to uh, you know people that uh, think that they're rising to a, a higher, superior form of life than us poor three-dimensional beings, and to uh, to benefit the world, they would actually want to eliminate what they call defective seeds. And I was quite shocked to read about a battalion fighting in the Ukraine that actually has this belief, 700 men who are devoted to slaughtering the enemy because they're defective seeds and they're going to bring in some new angelic master race life form. And, uh, you know, I think your forefathers and mine understood very clearly about, the, you know, the master race philosophy and fought sure. it tooth and nail. Absolutely. And so even though I saw, you know, many uh, symbols in some of the videos about the uh, the light being philosophy a lot of it was you know nazi symbols because they aspired to the uh, the nordic races as a superior race of light beings taking over the world oh, that's interesting and uh, you know so as soon as i see symbolism like that i'll just say like you lost me there's there's no way that uh, i could see this as a benefit to humanity and by and large i look at the uh, the tree of life as we understand it, and that's some of the things I uh, communicate with her, is we, if we look at the original Hebrew of some of the major words in Genesis, it tells a very distinct story of what is and what is not. So some of the root words you get into Jehovah means Adam and Eve, and that means male, and Eve is womb, female, and Elohim is plural of God, not a singular form. And just looking at those four words tells you a big story. So when you say plural, you're talking God and Mrs. God. Of course, the tree of life, the creation, the genesis. And uh, these people teach you that your body is somehow evil or foul, which exactly Satan would want to teach you because we're created in God's image and he's on the other side. So All right, George, yours. we've got to take a time out here. Uh, we'll come back and um, continue to discuss how... Uh, you have essentially lost uh, someone who is very dear to you uh, to a, a UFO or a saucer religion, if they've been called. And um, we'll continue to delve into this, I guess. It's, it's kind of a, a warning, uh, perhaps, to people out there listening. Some may not want to hear this message. Some may, may actually uh, concur with your ex's uh, viewpoint. But we'll discuss right here on The Conspiracy Show with George Freund. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. We're back with George Freund, of course, uh, the, um, the host of a very popular podcast, Conspiracy Cafe, and he uh, drops by this program uh, from time to time, and uh, we're very glad to have him. But this is kind of a sad occasion. George reached out to me, uh, oh, about a, a month ago, uh, to tell me that he had uh, lost someone very dear to him uh, to a, um, a UFO cult. Now, um, I think I know what this this uh, this cult might be, and we have to we have to be very careful here. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But it, it, it's is it anything like the uh, I'm I'm thinking back to the uh, the Solar Temple cult uh, or the Order of the Solar Temple, of course, which ended very badly in Quebec a number of years ago, and then of course we had um, the Heaven's Gates um, cult, which also ended very badly. I mean, we were talking about uh, you know suicides here. Uh, it's, is it anything like that? I mean, are they are they waiting to be to be uh, you know taken up into a mothership, and are they and are they prepared to you know to do whatever? Well, I think they're prepared to ascend into a higher spiritual realm and leave you know their earthly bodies and an earthly existence behind. And you know, sometimes I've heard you know like 
the word three-dimensional used as a negative uh, context. But in a way, you know, three dimensions are four dimension because the fourth dimension is time. Correct. So we're here with time anyway, so we're really in a four-dimensional moving object. And uh, this experience in flesh and blood is something to be enjoyed and relished and cherished and appreciated that uh, we are have life given to us and we give life to the next generation and we carry on and uh, this is the experience and we ascend in my belief is would be after we pass away we ascend to whatever uh, realm or dimension our souls may go to and uh, but this isn't something you do in the physical being here and now that that's just a lie it's a deception to take you away uh, and I believe maybe to some extent uh, people have worked on her a little extra hard because, uh, you know, she was my right-hand, uh, uh, you know, soulmate uh, beyond belief and spiritual partner in dealing with a lot of things, uh, you know, research and, uh, you know, just that you just couldn't ask for anything better. It's just like you were Siamese twins. How long were you together, George? Up close to nine years. Nine years. And and when, when, when uh, did it sort of dissolve completely um, I wouldn't say you know like say we still keep in touch and such like that uh, but when you're involved in a cult and you have to deprogram someone or try to uh, bring up points you can't be emotionally involved with someone and that's the hard part for me is to turn everything off and then just deal logically with the facts that are before us but uh, there was she was probably involved in uh, you know the light being understanding or hoping for a better human consciousness all the time I've known her, but it became a point now where, you know, you have to separate and follow the energy as opposed to dealing with human beings here on land. And, uh, you know, that just makes a bigger and bigger gap. And my mistake was, uh, when you're dealing with someone who's involved in a cult, it would probably be, you know, to take a time outbreak or a breathing space, and that just gives them a chance to expand like a disease and take up the the space you left behind. It should have been more that, you know, you saturate the person with uh, love and kindness and understanding and give them another place to uh, to focus on and break the spell of, the, of, you know, basically what I look at as a cult. Most of what they put together in videos are very slick. It's like a mind control operation. And... Uh, and I turn off to that stuff because I program my own mind. My grandfather taught me from, you know, my earliest years. If there's anything you're going to do, George, think for yourself. Don't ever let anybody else do your thinking for you. And uh, I'd have to say that's probably one of the most important rules a parent could ever teach a child is to be uh, challenging and independent and to think for themselves and to weigh what you're told. Uh, and logic is the best test. If it doesn't uh, stand logic, well, it can't be true. And... Uh, then, of course, if it's not true, you turn away from it and uh, and move into something else. And that's where you said it uh, earlier, where you can use scripture or some of the ancient texts we have as a compass to say, well, how does it fit? How does it mesh? And uh, are we being sold something that uh, is bizarre? And cults come in many levels, and usually there's an outside of, you know, happy-go-lucky people that are used almost as camouflage for the inner portions. And these uh, inner portions... Uh, can be totally despicable and evil. And, you know, as soon as I've ever come across words that say there's defective seeds or cancerous people, I know right away I'm dealing with uh, that serpent guy on the tree of knowledge. Right. Because but, you know, uh, I am... Um, it never ceases to, me, to amaze me how many in the UFO community, and it's uh, 
there's a there is a schism there. It, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in if you're in the Bigfoot community, if you're talking about 9/11. There's always a schism. There are two camps usually, at least, and in the UFO community, uh, there are maybe there are three camps in the UFO community. There are the people that are like the MUFON people who believe, okay, we're seeing something. 147 million ca people can't be wrong. What is it? We don't know. We're tracking it. We're cataloging it. We're recording it. Then there are the people uh, who are perhaps like your um, your former partner who believe that these ETs are highly uh, enlightened technologically and spiritually and they are here to save us from ourselves. Uh, we are... Uh, you know, uh, we humans were uh, were placed here by the aliens. We are the seed. We are some sort of a genetic mutation, perhaps the ancient alien or ancient astronaut theory. Uh, but they are coming back to save us from ourselves. They have the, can the cure for cancer. They have free energy, uh, and all of this. And then there are uh, people like you, George, and myself, who who believe there's something far more sinister going on. Um, but I have a sense, an eerie feeling. Uh, that the camp that your girlfriend now uh, unfortunately belongs to is winning. They are the majority. What do you think? Well, that's uh, very much by and large true. And uh, because ultimately, as you know, our book carries on, there, there's an ending. And, uh, you know, one of the other philosophies of the light beings is uh, that there's a Maitreya or a Mahdi in Islam that uh, is going to bring on a new world order. A lot of what they talk about is uh, world government. That goes way back even to British intelligence and, you know, right back to Queen Elizabeth I, that there was uh, this, uh, you know, force or energy that they would master. There was competition between the Germanic kings and the Pope and the, uh, the royal family in England. And, uh, you know, these people wrote very, very sternly on matters like that, like Sir Francis Bacon and, uh, you know, all the way up to Mr. Balfour in the, in the more modern era, that they believed in this uh, material and they expected this. One of the writings that, uh, you know, shocked me when we look at the, uh, you know, the modern era is we see Islam and the New Age will merge into one religion in the end times from one of their uh, writings. Well, what is that now, Richard? Is that ISIS? Why would a Muslim sect call itself after, you know, a goddess of light? Uh, that the Egyptian be, goddess Isis, that's right. You know, it just doesn't make any sense that if you were really a fundamental Islamic person that you would use a false goddess as the name of, uh, of your, your being. So I look at them, uh, you know, why would they pick this? As, uh, I believe that this is like the, the Mahdi's end-time army to kill the Christians and pure Jews and uh, Islamic people. They seem to have a major hate on for them, and uh, they're very active, and it doesn't seem like we're effectively trying to put them out of business, and it's almost like we're greasing the wheels to help them succeed by letting Larry Curley and Moe do our military strategy so that they can advance everywhere they go with Made in America weapons. George Freund is with us, uh, host of a very popular uh, podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. Uh, we are talking about his, um, his former uh, girlfriend the love of his life, who, as he believes, been uh, taken by a, a UFO uh, religious cult. And uh, you mentioned the New World Order. And if you listen to uh, a lot of uh, people, even in the disclosure movement, those are, those are the people that are, you know, trying to pressure governments to, to come clean about what they know about the UFO phenomenon, which I, I, I mean, I have no problem with that. There is something going on. Governments are keeping it a secret. Uh, however, 
what what you hear, the subtext is what many of them are saying is, before we can be welcomed into the cosmic neighborhood or to become a full-fledged member of the the cosmic neighborhood with our ET brothers out there, we have to come together here on Earth, which is again another way of saying we got to dissolve the nation state. We have to become one world, a one world government, which to me is just untenable. But, but however, that's, that is what they believe, George. Yes, but it defies economic logic. In economics, one of the most primary laws of economics is the economy of scale. And uh, so we can run little factories and they're very successful, but when we put them together into one giant monolithic world corporation, it falls apart because we break the rule of the economy of scale and we become counterproductive and implode upon ourselves. And any world government can be the same uh, thing. There's just no way you could put so many diverse things together under one roof and uh, expect it to survive. And you could have 50, 60 small, very successful independent nations, even very different, but meeting together to do trade and exchange ideas and go home and be separate and distinct, but to be very successful. And uh, I, this uh, idea of a, of a one-world government or one-world anything or a one unified master state is totally illogical, and it seems to be something more akin to human weakness to make bigger uh, so it's better. And that's generally not been the case, especially when it's done unnaturally by force, trick, or coercion. Then you can't have a successful state because you don't have uh, you know, a real build-up to a working, functioning infrastructure. It's coerced, and anything that's coerced or cheated or forced is bound to fall apart. It always has. It always will. Do you have any hope of, of um, getting your, your, your partner back from this cult? Well, it's difficult to say. We could be reading from the same book. Maybe I'm reading from the beginning to the end, and she's reading from the back to the front, and then somewhere down the line we'll be on the same page. The big thing is, is this is a, a crisis year by looking at a lot of the tea leaves that are coming out, whether it be the fact that it's a financial uh, collapse coming. Armies are massed on the world playing games that we haven't seen since, you know, Dr. Strangelove and the 60s or 50s uh, when everybody's uh, lined up to push buttons and slaughter the planet Earth. Uh, this could be a very dynamic year. And uh, part of what really frightens me about this year is it almost seems like our leaders want to start a, foight, a fight or a war with Russia and hoping that, uh, you know, somehow they can beat them. That was one of the things I've learned from a Russian general who was speaking on missile defense. Missile defense isn't a first strike weapon defense. It's for the second strike. We launch everything we have on Russia, hopefully wipe out most of it, and what little they have left will be taken out by missile defense. Well, now I can see why Russia doesn't like it too much, because that means I'm going to shoot you first. And, uh, and part of you know, having some sort of detente or, or even to aspire to be a world government, how can you hate one other side in, a, in basically a financial system and want to expose them to destruction and say that somehow you represent uh, a greater or higher ideal? That's it's completely opposite to what uh, you're, you're supposed to be standing for. Well, George, uh, listen, I, um, I wish you all the best. Uh, I hope somehow that you can... Um you can uh, take your your lady friend back from the clutches of this this UFO cult. They are they are legion, unfortunately. Yes, well, that's even one of the things. Too quickly is just to mention about the Tower of Babel. In its original Hebrew, Babel meant gate to God, and that's what they were doing. Is they were trying to uh, you know act as light beings to 
assess the angels or acquire the angels, and we know what happened there. That was the ultimate in destruction. And uh, so obviously we're going down a wrong trail if we think that uh, by aspiring to these light beings we're somehow illuminating ourselves or, or getting into something better. It's, uh, it's not there at all. We use the power of prayer, and uh, you know we work together and cooperate with each other, and uh, that's where we're going to get. Okay, George, leave us with a website where people can uh, access the podcast. Oh, I'll be at www.conspiracy-cafe.com or just Google my name and wherever I've been. The, the trail is very long and <laughs> very well-traveled by many people. All right, I appreciate uh, you sharing with us, George. It's a very difficult time for you, and uh, my prayers are with you. All the best. And best to you, and happy birthday to your mother. Thank you so much. George Freud. All right. Bye-bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our Paranormal News Roundup, is next right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a full-time paranormal investigator, researcher, and the author of over 60 books on the metaphysical, supernatural, and paranormal. Her website is visionaryliving.com. She joins us when she can, this time every month, and after a bit of an absence, she's back, here with another installment of our Paranormal News Roundup. Rosemary, how are you? Well, I've been on the road a, a great deal, Richard. I've been spending a lot of time out in California doing paranormal investigations, speaking at uh, Contact in the Desert, that big UFO conference, and uh, having a lot of paranormal adventures. It's been a great trip. All right. I wanted to talk to you about this. Um, there's a TV show. It's very popular over in uh, England. I think it's either on Channel 4 or Sky TV, and it's called The Enfield Haunting, about a very famous haunting that took place about 35 years ago. And now uh, some of the actors uh, on, the, on the series are experiencing very similar poltergeist-type phenomena. What can you tell me, uh, first of all, about the history of the Enfield haunting and then what's happening on the TV show? This is one of the most famous poltergeist cases on record, and uh, one of the principal investigators in England, Guy Leon Playfair, uh, is a friend of mine, and I'm very familiar with his work. He's a solid researcher. But this is a case that started in the late 1970s, and um, a single mother and her children moved into this uh, home, and all this poltergeist stuff started happening, things flying around, knocking sounds, um, allegedly at least one of the children levitated, and uh, as is often the case with uh, pol poltergeist disturbances, there's usually one person who's a focal point. In this case, it was the 11-year-old daughter, and there were three other siblings. Well, it got a lot of attention, and especially when it hit the media, uh, because the family was very distressed. And some investigators from the Society for Psychical Research went out and studied the case. And uh, after a great deal of research, uh, basically authenticated it. They said the, uh, the phenomena were genuine. However, it did come out later that the children had indeed faked some things. And uh, their excuse was that, uh, well, they were just trying to see if the investigators could tell when something was real and, and when it wasn't. This is something that we find in almost all of these famous cases, is that when the media spotlight turns on the victims, 
they can't seem to resist uh, faking some phenomena. And there's a great deal of pressure on them uh, to perform. The upshot is, though, uh, it was ruled uh, to be a genuine case. So now we have this TV series that's uh, recreating all of this. And uh, ironically, the, the real family, they just kind of want to move on with it. Sure, who wouldn't? <laughs> but uh, it's not unusual for um, a cast and crew to experience some of these things. This is a very weird phenomenon in the paranormal. The same thing was reported on the set of um, The Exorcist film and uh, in some of the other horror movies, that things that involve like haunted objects or demonic cases that uh, the people involved uh, in recreating the drama will start uh, experiencing exactly the same thing. So what's going on on the set of um, the actual TV series? Uh, There's a couple of explanations that could be at work, and and one is that uh, when people get really involved in... uh, tuning into genuine uh, cases and recreating them, they may very well attract real spirits who decide to dip in and have some fun on their own by, uh, by creating real phenomena. Some of it also might be um, sort of uh, self-fulfilling, like auto-suggestion. You know, they get really wrapped up in the, the plot and the effects and then uh, start Im- imagining that uh, these sorts of things are happening to them. Are they, shooting on, lo- sorry, are they shooting on location, on the, same, on the same location, in the same area that the original hauntings took place? That I don't know. Um, the family's long gone from the uh, original house. And, in fact, I think uh, subsequent um, residents uh, said that nothing ever happened to them. Uh, this could be uh, an unusual case where uh, especially the 11-year-old uh, child was uh, primed for uh, poltergeist disturbances. We see this in kids uh, where there's something uh, that they generate, uh, some energy, some psychokinetic energy, or perhaps even emotional energy, that interacts with uh, energy that's in the place or spirits, and uh, it turns into these huge poltergeist cases. Well, that could be what's going on here, and, and you're right. I mean, I've read many accounts where uh, they, they believe that uh, young girls that are just entering puberty, there may be a connection there with poltergeist activity. Listen, we'll take a time out, Rosemary, and when we come back, we'll talk about a UFO encounter uh, that dials back to 1968 and uh, a, um, a, uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, and an interaction with the military and um, E.T., perhaps. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and our Paranormal News Roundup. Okay, Uh, this was a a piece that uh, Lee Spiegel, who's a terrific writer, uh, who covers sort of the UFO beat for the Huffington Post. And uh, as he points out, uh, the public rarely hears about interactions between military personnel and unexplained aircraft, and that stands to reason they're not able to speak openly about it, especially during wartime. Uh, but as time goes on, these stories, these UFO stories, uh, seem, see the light of day. And uh, such was the case of an event that occurred back during the Vietnam War era, and, um, well, take it away. This, this goes back to 1968, Rosemary. 
And this probably is just the tip of the iceberg. I believe that our military have had frequent interactions with unknown aerial craft. If there are intelligent uh, entities visiting our planet, they, of course, would want to keep an eye on what we're doing in regards to weaponry. Now, uh, in this particular case, uh, it was an American patrol boat. Uh, This was during the Vietnam War. And they saw uh, the crew on the boat saw these two uh, circular uh, craft following them. They were in a demilitarized zone, and the craft were glowing. And a second patrol boat uh, saw a similar craft, uh, and then they saw a flash of light and an explosion that destroyed the boat. So were ETs uh, attacking our military vessels? These are the kind of reports that, of course, the military wouldn't want the public to know about, something unexplained like this. And uh, one of the principal reporters in, in this case is a man that I've known for many years, George Filer. He has uh, put out uh, a blog called Filer's Files, where he um, uh, does a, a report of UFO activity around the world. And uh, he was an Air Force intelligence officer, and he's a solid uh, man. Uh, again, somebody who uh, is very uh, uh, credible, uh, knows his subject, and I put a lot of credence in this report. The real question here, uh, Richard, is how much more of these kinds of encounters do we not know about? Oh, exactly. Uh, and impossible to determine because uh, a lot like commercial airline pilots, uh, they are really uh, you know, forbidden to speak about these things. There is also the, uh, a very famous case of a U.S. air pilot uh, in a joint exercise, I believe, with the, uh, the RAF uh, who was ordered to fly over the English Channel and intercept a large craft, which he later described as being about the size of a U.S. air carrier in the air, uh, was told to lock his uh, his missiles on it and and fire, but it, he didn't, and it and it quickly disappeared, I guess. But uh, he it, it was many many years uh, later until he spoke about that. So who knows? I mean, maybe through the passage of time, as many of uh, these veterans are on their their deathbeds and they have nothing left to lose, they'll start to open up. But um, uh, you're right; this is just the tip of the iceberg. And Filer. Uh, said that he gave daily briefings to uh, to a general uh, who was the deputy commander for the air operations in Vietnam, and he included some of these cases of unknown uh, craft that um, were, were uh, engaging with uh, you know planes and and uh, uh, other military activities. So the top people knew very well what was going on. Yeah, this is one of the first cases I've heard from sort of the southeastern, Southeast Asia theater, particularly from the Vietnam era. Uh, we've heard a number of cases from uh, the the Second World War, the Foo Fighters, the infamous Foo Fighters, of course, uh, right. and and a number during the Cold War era from pilots. Uh, but to my mind, this is one of the first from the Vietnam era. Have you heard of one prior to this? I have not, and that's what interested me about this case. I've heard uh, about the sightings and those uh, other uh, conflicts, 
but the Vietnam War, uh, things have been very quiet around uh, uh, that particular time period. So uh, maybe now that this has come out, we'll start to see more. All right. Uh, to the Natural History Museum uh, we go, and a great scandal uh, involving the uh, the firing or sacking of the museum's chief because he claimed he had found the Loch Ness Monster. Fascinating story, Rosemary. What's up with this? Well, this concerns um, uh, an official uh, whose name was Dennis Tucker, and this happened in the late 1950s. It was 1959 to be exact. And uh, he was a zoologist and the chief scientist for the Natural History Museum uh, in England. And uh, he made this statement that he had found the Loch Ness Monster. Now, he didn't think the monster was paranormal. He considered it to be a long-lost dinosaur, a plesiosaur, in sure. fact. And uh, that was the uh, the leading theory by uh, held by many researchers. Uh, I think Loch Ness is an interdimensional uh, creature. But anyway, uh, the story came out, and uh, soon after that, uh, he was fired from his job. But it seems that there was just a lot more going on with this fellow. He was uh, a maverick. He didn't like to uh, follow the rules. And, of course, back then in the 1950s, especially in England, uh, you know, you you followed uh, protocols, procedures, you kept your place, uh, you didn't uh, make waves, and uh, it seems like uh, he was a maverick in many regard, uh, regards. So it, uh, the Loch Ness case seemed to be um, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just um, one thing that a, a very high-respected scientist should not say, uh, publicly, and it caused a great deal of embarrassment, and there he was, out of a job. Uh, and, and yes, you're right, being you know totally the wrong place to have that kind of opinion, because museums are among the most conservative institutions uh, that exist today. Now, now um, he only died, Dr. Tucker only passed away about five years ago in France, and um, did he change his views at all? About, about Nessie? Uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, he did consider it to be uh, like an earth creature. Uh, he said, actually, that he had had his own sighting uh, in 1959. That's what led to his, to his statement. And, uh, you know, he was convinced uh, that it, it was, uh, you know, some long-lost dinosaur. Um, and uh, he, he really died in obscurity. I mean, after he lost his job, um, he tried to get reinstated. And uh, in fact, he took took his Kate to court, but he didn't win. And uh, he just um, never recovered. He never recovered in terms of status, position. Uh, back then, that was a price you paid when you uh, ran afoul of the establishment. Today, society is much more forgiving. Uh, and and people can you know resurrect themselves and uh, uh, he did, did did not and in fact in his later years he felt very bitter about the way he had been treated. Sure, I mean he wrote a, he wrote a letter uh, to uh, New Scientist magazine, stating for the record what he witnessed as a scientist uh, back in in 1959 and and as you say uh, died a, a defeated and kind of a bitter a bitter person. Uh, this leads us to a fascinating story, and it has to do with uh, Sasquatch. And uh, many people often wonder, you know, why can we never 
fine Sasquatch, why there's never, you know, habeas corpus, bring me a body. Uh, this story about um, Sasquatch perhaps being a denizen of the underworld may explain why uh, this creature is so elusive and difficult to capture. I love this story, uh, which relates Sasquatch to caves and mines, because uh, this is a very strong theme in uh, creature and entity and spirit folklore throughout the ages, that um, spirits and uh, unknown uh, uh, mysterious creatures have used subterranean uh, passages to reach our world. And um, I think that there's something to that, because um, I find in uh, a lot of my own investigations of what I call portal areas, uh, large pieces of land that have a lot of activity going on, uh, there's often an association with tunnels, mine tunnels, natural tunnels, uh, even subterranean water and underground passageways. Now, my personal theory is that these are not physical creatures who actually live underground, but they are interdimensional, and uh, they, they're they tied to the Earth, but they uh, really exist in another dimension. And there's something about the Earth's structure, these underground passages uh, and caves, and it may be the natural Earth energy associated with them that seem to provide these passageways into uh, into our uh, physical reality, so many uh, spirits associated with this and and uh, other creatures. In fact, we have the entire hollow earth theory that uh, the earth really is hollow on the inside. Maybe it is interdimensionally and is populated by uh, all manner of beings. Well, I, I don't know about you, Rosemary, but I don't think I'd want to grab a, a lantern and go um, spelunking you know, in that labyrinth of the Mammoth Cave system, for example, in Kentucky, looking for a 10-foot hairy creature. <laughs> it could be rather frightening. Now, years ago, I did some investigations in the Mount Shasta area, which is famous for all kinds of encounters and experiences. Uh, there are caves there uh, around the mountain, and there's one famous one called the Pluto Cave, and it is associated with ETs and mysterious entities, uh, and you can go quite deep into the cave. So people have uh, been known to uh, actually sleep over in the cave, hoping to have some sort of experience. And I did some exploring in the cave. Did not stay uh, overnight, but I did quite a bit of exploring in the cave, and it was pretty creepy. I can see how people uh, might have experiences there, and I can also see how uh, such a fissure in the earth, uh, it goes way, way uh, back, it's quite deep, uh, could be uh, a bona fide, genuine passageway for interdimensional beings. All right, Rosemary, always a pleasure. We should mention the website where you have um, your, your bookstore, for example, uh, about 60 books in, in, and counting, and that's visionaryliving.com. Be well and talk soon. Thank you, Richard. All right. Good Rose, night. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, back next week. Thanks to Tim Spreen for uh, production, Albert the Intern. Hope you'll be around for next week. It'll be a good one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.